to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw@americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Welcome to this week's episode of The New Frontier, a podcast series focused on data security, privacy, and technology, presented by the American Bar Association in conjunction with the Klein School of Law at Drexel University. I am your host, Jordan Fisher, and I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, Violet Sullivan, the VP of Client Engagement for Redpoint Cybersecurity. Violet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about privacy law and cybersecurity insurance. Just tiny little topics, nothing too big to, com- to accomplish yeah, today. Huge, <laughs> um, huge worlds of data and information. <laughs> that seems to evolve quite rapidly in today's world, that's for sure. <laughs> right, um, and I think that's why it's so important, interesting to lawyers, because we haven't had something so new as a new frontier, which I love the name of your podcast. We haven't had something like this in so long, right? Torts and property and all this stuff has been around. I know, and the way that it all interfaces with the digital sphere, I think is such a fascinating topic and one I'm really excited to dive in with you today. But before we get into everything that's going on in the cyber and privacy space, just wanted to give you an opportunity to give a little bit about your background. You have a very diverse career. You know, Can you walk us through your journey and your current role that you have at Redpoint today? Yes, of course. So I... I am one of the attorneys that actually likes to pride themselves on on leaning more on the technical side. Uh, I that there's a lot of reasons for that, but I really found that that was a uniqueness from my skill level, my education, my background, and experience. That every job I started in cyber or privacy, I was just itching to learn more about all these acronyms and all this information that was on the technical side. So not only trying to get there with certifications, but now even learning from the forensics team that I work for. So Redpoint Cybersecurity does all types of incident response, threat actor negotiation. So talking with the bad guy in in the chat chat logs, um, the recovery and restoration rebuild after a a ransomware incident, or even the forensics to figure out what happened, whether it be business email compromise or um, a large scale attack affecting your entire business. So I'm learning from my team every single day and I am not even providing legal advice, which is the best part about my job is that I am more on the business side. Um, And that was something that I really started leaning towards. I started in cyber about nine years ago and I've just moved from place to place getting new experiences. So I guess the best way to sum up is I started off in operational response. When you think of the, the identity repair, the letters, like how do you even print out 54,000 pieces of paper or 28 million pieces of paper um, if you can't do substitute notice? So we, I started out and didn't even know what the word data breach was. I joined the company. It was an old, um, older data breach response company called All Clear ID. 
Now it's been bought by Experian, but that gave me such a good glimpse into this world because I got to start on some awesome breaches and not awesome for the company, but the big breaches of 2014, 15, 16. And that was like Sony and Home Depot and Albertsons and then Anthem uh, with 78 million people. And so those experiences really catapulted me into, oh my gosh, that is, we were on the very new side of cybersecurity, privacy, anything, whether whatever you want to call it, but everyone that worked on that, every case that I mentioned, 500 other people worked on it. I mean, Jordan, you probably worked on one of those guys. (laughs) But, um, you know, you have all of these different players. And what I realized is I didn't want to just be the legal player. I wanted to keep working. I worked on the operational side. Then I went on the risk management side, which is I know we're going to touch on cyber insurance later. That was really interesting because it gave me kind of a niche into understanding how insurance plays a role in cybersecurity and privacy. And now, like I mentioned, I'm on the technical forensic side. That is really cool. And just having that exposure, I think, gives you this really unique perspective to bring not only to our conversation today, but just to your practice. And before we dive into sort of some of those topics that you highlighted, I think for a lot of folks, especially attorneys, one of the biggest questions I always get is how do you learn the tech? You know, how do you stay up to speed on the tech? So are there any tips that you could give, especially to maybe, you know, law students, newer attorneys that are coming into this space who, you know, they're like, they recognize the gap maybe in their skill set of technology. How would you gap fill that for them? How would you recommend they do that? You know, it's so funny because I just talked, my my intern yesterday just asked me the same question and I said, Google's your friend. And I think because what I realized is as soon as I admitted I didn't know a word or wanted to learn more about it, there's articles everywhere. And there's so many articles that really break it down. And I think I started realizing this. I built out a a cybersecurity and privacy law course for Baylor Law School about five years ago. And I felt so... It was so vast. I was like, what am I going to teach? How am I going to fill this this class? How am I going to create this? And I feel like I started just linking blog posts to the readings because there doesn't exist. You know this too. There doesn't exist a good, solid cybersecurity law or privacy law practicum or, you know, some, you know, big, thick book that has everything because you have to modify it to your experience. So I would just say, start with the basics of whatever questions you have. And so any call you're on, you don't know, look it up. Any question you have about a news article and you don't get it, look up that word that you don't get. Look up that phrase, look up that issue that you don't get. I love that advice. I think, you know, every area of the law really requires you to be a lifelong learner. But in this space, especially, Google really is your friend because there's not one textbook you can look at. So, you know, really, really great advice. I find Twitter gives you some spice to it too. Yeah. I know Twitter's not a hot topic right now, but I will say I look up Google and then sometimes I search it for Twitter to see like, What's the real story? <laughs> yes. What are the tech technology people actually talking about? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's set the scene from your perspective. You touched upon a lot and just your background is, is amazing, sort of the breadth of what you've been able to work on. But from what you see on a day-to-day basis, you know, what are the biggest challenges in the cyber insurance coverage industry? Because cyber insurance really does dictate a fair amount of how this evolves. You know, I'm interested, what do you see as the biggest challenges as we head into this next year of cyber and privacy and the evolution of this space? Oh man, what a big question. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I have to flip it first and say, 
I do, I'm going to recognize a challenge, but I also have to say, I think it'd be harder without cyber insurance um, because if you don't have cyber insurance, you will have to either with preparation ahead of time or scrambling when a crisis happens, have to figure out what kind of technical expertise you need, who's going to let you know, and who do you trust to know what happened and figure out and get into your systems to to look and figure out what happened or, you know, communicate with a threat actor, ransomware person or not communicate. But you are also missing as a company, you'd be missing legal guidance. And sometimes people I don't think even would recognize that a technical issue would need very soon, very rapid legal guidance. Um, And that's for the reason of privilege. And I think that not just privilege, but also experience and, and everything else that lawyers bring to the table. So one of the things that you and I have seen a lot in this industry is because it's so new, there are a lot of lawyers that just can say they do it and then they look it up and then they respond to it. And this is something that requires a very niche area of expertise. And I feel like I could say it because I am on the technical side. You have to have a lawyer on the other side to really guide you through some of the really difficult decisions because a cyber incident isn't about technology. It's about really hard decisions you have to make of, of prioritizing operations over safety or access safety of the data uh, or the the accounts. And then the flip side, I guess, to really answer your question is without cyber insurance, you don't know how to put all those pieces together. And even if you do, there's going to be a lag time of days or weeks or contracting um, to get the right experts. And then you're likely going to probably miss something. And I think that the insurance world has really created this ecosystem of they have vetted and looked through the experts on all sides. So we're not just talking now, you know, what I would call the basics, which is, and my PR friends are going to hate me for just saying that the basics are, you know, technical and legal um, experts, because you can also have PR experts. You can have credit monitoring uh, firms and mail vendors for printing out the letters I mentioned. What the challenge is, as I think is even though, cyber insurance has vetted and approved and has all these options available, I feel like there's still a missing piece in the triage where the company that gets breached or has a hack doesn't quite know what they're supposed to do in an incident if they don't have a plan or if they haven't practiced it. And then they get thrown all these experts and their first questions are like, can I trust them? Because they're assigned by the insurance carrier. And sometimes there's a really good counsel on the phone that explains all of this from beginning to end. But I feel like one of the challenges is that we in the cyber insurance space do this every single day and the insureds are coming on the worst day of their life. And unless you take that into account every single day, I feel like we we may miss kind of proving our, to the insured that cyber insurance is worth it. It's a really good point. I, I'm constantly reminding both myself and my team that we live and breathe this world But for so many, this is their first time they're even talking about their data, their systems, their infrastructure. They haven't had that conversation. So reminding ourselves that even though our head might be 10 steps ahead, for them, we've really got to break it down and really remember that they are being inundated with so much information. They're not going to remember most of it. And by the way, they might not be able to Google in that moment because their computers might be down. So (laughs) that's a really good point for, I think, all of us in the industry to remember that just because we're in it every day, most of the people we are servicing, this is their first time down this road, ideally. (laughs) 
Right. Well, and I think that that's one of the reasons you see a lot of counsel being on the same list too for different insurance companies is because it also is really important to have lawyers that understand the other roles that other resources have. Like I just mentioned, the PR and the, you know, a lot of lawyers might say, you know, you don't need PR, we'll give you the words. Well, you know, I think a good lawyer would admit, we give you legalese, the PR really helps put it in the right marketplace, especially if you have a retailer that has a big presence or you know, some group that has sensitive, you know, very sensitive media exposure. Yeah, really helping to understand that, you know, both pre-incident and post-incident, it's a team endeavor. Um, and law is one aspect of that. Technology is one aspect. Business is an aspect. Operations, communications, right. each of those have a really critical role. And the goal, I think, of everyone on the team is to help the client to understand why all these parties are going to be involved in helping them to mitigate the worst day that they might be going through. Right. And I, I, I'll add one more challenge. And I think that's the cost of premiums rising. And I think the issue is that it's caused a lot of skeptics that wondering if they need to self-insure, if they need to find another form of coverage. Um, but I think that we always go back to, you still have to choose how to mitigate your risks. You can't just ignore your risks. So either accept them or you work on, you know, or you work on them. You can't just ignore that the risks are there. So, you know, the answer might not be a hundred percent cyber insurance, but it could be cyber insurance as well as a good preparation and policy and internal risk management. And, you know, all of these things in a row to say, your whole program is um, like a like a full risk assessment. Right, really thinking holistically. I think insurance is one piece of risk mitigation, but there's other risks that might remain and understanding how insurance fits into your overall sort of risk mitigation plan. Um, I think that's a really, really good point. And a lot of people kind of get too caught up in the insurance piece, not understanding it's one of many different tools in your sort of risk mitigation toolbox that you can leverage as a business. Exactly. I'm curious, you know, you've seen some really large news hitting breaches during your time in this space. How have you seen the space evolve over the last five years? Um, you know, obviously there's more regulations, there's there's complexities, but just from your perspective, you know, how are you seeing this evolve um, as the world evolves and changes? I think that, well, one, five years ago, that was before ransomware really became an um, exposure issue. So five years ago, the only thing that we had to try to convince people that this was a real threat was the data issue. And it was all about data breaches. Ransomware, very smartly, the threat actors realized that the operational impact could get us to react or pay extortion requests way faster than just taking you know, our information. So ransomware operationalized the risk, meaning your computers may be black. So I could tell people your computers may be completely down. Um, there's a skull and crossbones on your screen and you're, you know what, your manufacturing company, ABC, you, all your equipment is down. So it became an OT and IT risk and it really elevated what could happen to a company. And we've seen that with the headlines that we've, you know, we're, this, we everyone gets scared with, which is Colonial Pipeline or JBS, where you have a huge impact to gas prices, even when the fear of operational impact was um, underway during Colonial Pipeline. And we saw those pictures of all the people lining up 
getting gas. And that I think has elevated cybersecurity and thus privacy. I feel like cyber had to come first because privacy has been yelling this, you know, for 30 years. Uh, but I think that cybersecurity health threats have put on the main stage some of the issues of privacy. And now I think there's also recent political events that have also put privacy at the forefront. But I feel like the last five years, the first thing that had to happen was businesses actually were shutting down because of a cyber attack. Right. It had to become real, I think, yeah. for businesses to start to devote resources. Because as, as we as humans, we're always thinking, yes, it might have happened to the business to my left and to my right, but never to me. And I think that we're starting to see that that's not necessarily the case. And in, in some instances, it might have already happened to you, you just don't even realize it. Um, and I think that kind of leads nicely to, you know, we can't be lawyers and not talk about litigation because that is another area that I could see evolving in the next few years. Um, do you see cyber and privacy litigation becoming more impactful on businesses? And how do you see it impacting businesses, especially as we head into 2023, which is going to see a number of different privacy laws, and I'm sure other changes that we can't even imagine as we sit here today? Well, as any lawyer, I always like to recognize my bias first. And I think I started thinking about this um, when I was teaching the class. Like, I have to recognize that I started off on the defense side. Every time I've supported an organization, it was always supporting defense of the company rather than the consumer or a class of consumers that were impacted by it. So with that bias, I have learned that I need to start listening more to the plaintiff's bar and what they're doing and how they're being creative because I am a privacy nerd too. So I do care about the consumer protection and, and, you know, the data, especially child safety data, online safety, all of these things that we're seeing in privacy legislation. And I think what I'm realizing as I'm making friends with more and more plaintiff's counsel that are getting it is that they're not even, I mean, they're being creative, but they're, they're not even having to be too creative because the current legislation allows for recovery. Uh, and we're seeing with BIPA, we're now we're seeing with um, the pixel, the wiretapping cases that are coming out. We're seeing a lot of creative plaintiff's counsel that are saying this law is written so that we can recover for um, the consumers and they're creating classes of the consumers. I think it's all really interesting. And some, I can't tell Jordan, honestly, if it's a political filing up a complaint or if it's legitimate, because some of these, I, I don't know if you saw the recent Massachusetts Department of, there was like an, there was like two, a lawsuit filed. And I, again, it just got filed like, you know, in early November of 2022. And it was something like alleging that the content tracing during COVID from the state of Massachusetts was in Department of Health and whatever they have over there, that it was installing itself by itself on by itself on any Android users because there wasn't the requirement to download it. And then even when the user saw it and uninstalled it, the allegation was that it got reinstalled. So there was all of this like tracking and look of location data without consent. And I don't know if again, that's why I'm I'm there's so many things being filed that I don't know what's legitimate, but also the interesting thing is so many things are being settled. So we don't even have precedent, right? I mean, we do have precedent, but it's not compared to any other area of law right now. Yeah. You raised so many good points. And I think at the heart of it, which is, and both from a regulatory and a litigation side, we can ask this question of what's our goal. 
what are we, you know, where do we want businesses to take this? And in a lot of ways, you know, we're, we're watching what's going on in Europe with the GDPR. And similarly, I think a lot of us are stepping back and, and just sort of asking ourselves, okay, what is the end goal, either of the plaintiffs firms, of the regulators, of the companies themselves? Um, and how are we going to use these tools to push to that end goal? I certainly think that litigation can be a source to raise awareness, just like cyber breaches can be. But I do sort of, you know, recognizing my own bias of, of representing and defending a lot of companies in this space, I do sometimes step back and say, hey, what are we looking for? Are we looking for absolutes? Are we looking for reasonableness? I think everyone can agree we're looking for transparency. We're looking for awareness. I think for a lot of businesses, they weren't necessarily even aware of, of what was going on with their technology. But we've, I think we have to come up with a balance. And maybe litigation can help play a role in that. But I, I, I really do have the same question as you of, what are we trying to achieve here? And are we doing that with these different litigations or regulatory actions that we see. Right. And I think one of the issues is because standing and harm has been such a difficult thing with an incident. So it it it's more clear when there's an incident what the harm is to the business. It's not clear what the harm is to all of the data that gets leaked. And you may not know for a long time um, or you may know, you know, in a year we don't I think that the harm issue is really difficult for privacy, like kind of that that proof of harm or you know proof of injury, or versus the you know the certain cases that just have a what is the the word the the word statutory um, you know requirement private right of action or, right, or right, yeah right. Mm -hmm. it's really interesting and when you compare the United States to the European regulations, you know Europe has a fundamental right to privacy enshrined in their law. And at the state level in the United States, we do have certain U.S. constitutions, state U.S. constitutions that have a right to privacy. We don't necessarily have an agreed to concept of what that means. So in some ways, we're trying to try to figure that out while also trying to operationalize these concepts into our economy, into our business. So I think it's certainly going to be an interesting dialogue, uh, at least in the short term, but probably going on for a, for a fair amount of months, if not years, as we head into this even more. So looking ahead, Violet, um, and this might not be a very fair question, and we've sort of talked a little bit about where you see litigation going, but let's say next 12 to 24 months, right? So in the next two years, I think it's hard to predict any further out. But what do you see as the top concerns in the cyber and privacy technology space? Whether that's from a business perspective, an individual user perspective, or maybe just from like a broader societal perspective, you know, in the next two years, where do you see those top concerns sitting? Oh man. It's I feel like there's 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 so many different buckets that you just mentioned. The first that comes to mind is the crypto stuff with FTX and what's going to change because I think that this is going to really push regulatory um, movement in blockchain in, in probably number one priority. And I think as a result, I really don't have a lot of um, hope as most privacy lawyers probably do for the ADPPA, which would be the first national federal uh, privacy law. I feel like with this crypto focus or blockchain focus, the worry is going to get convoluted and consumer 
it's always the case that like money and economics trump consumer rights. So I feel like the money regulation stuff is going to come first. Um, then hopefully we'll have someone, you know, pushing forward politically the federal privacy legislation. But I think the other issue is going to really come and to light with the new SEC law. I think that that when you talk about looking ahead, I think whenever a, I don't this thing is supposed to it's rumored to be out April, right? The S, new SEC laws for cybersecurity notification and uh, event notification, but also material, like what is a material event has been changed and updated per cyber. Well, it, it's all great. I don't know when it's going to come out, but whenever the SEC posting comes out, I think what's going to, that's going to very much impact um, the businesses that are affected because there's going to be all of a sudden these new requirements and if they're also a critical infrastructure, I mean, you could have requirements different for public reporting versus regulatory reporting. And so I think things are getting more complicated, just like we always used to say that the breach notification laws, 50 different laws and four, four U.S. territories, 50 different states and four U.S. territories. And we always talked, use that example to talk about how complicated privacy law was. And that was probably like when I first started, like eight or nine years ago. Now it truly is so much more complicated because you have all of these conflicting both industry privacy laws, but also now cybersecurity laws where five years ago, I wouldn't have said we really had many cybersecurity laws. And now we're actually getting the ones that are focused on reasonable cybersecurity behavior. And that's what's going to change for businesses is they are now going to be required, not just suggested by industry groups or data that they hold, but required to have certain priorities. And there's going to be a reasonable, I think the reasonable standard is going to really evolve in this space. No, it's such a good point. And you're so right. The complexity of the regulatory environment is just continuing to become even that much more challenging. So really agree with you on sort of the, those key predictions. Um, I mean, light predictions, right? Blockchain, <laughs> publicly traded SEC rulings, nothing, nothing too big and lofty. Coming too big. I didn't even get into quantum. Like I didn't even get into quantum computing <laughs> or AI or anything, or like your toaster is going to come back and steal all your data. <laughs> well, one thing I feel comfortable predicting the next two years is that it will be interesting and will certainly keep us all very much on our toes and learning on a daily basis. That is, that is for sure. It's um, so not great to get into the industry, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're pushing up such a good, um, uh, such a good softball for me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, Violet, really appreciate you coming on. This is incredibly interesting to hear your perspectives on this really evolving landscape. One final question. I asked all my guests this, but what is the most recent book you have read on cyber privacy, law, technology that you would recommend to the audience? This question makes me love you even more, Jordan, than I already did, because I, if I had a podcast, I would have to end it with this question because I want to, and I want to add to my, you know, stack of books. I would say the most recent was the, it's a, it's a book that really translated to something I was interested in, which was DNO, a DNO guide to cyber governance fiduciary duties in the digital age. And I feel like that was a gap in my knowledge for a long time uh, because I knew about the duty of loyalty and the duty of care, but I didn't really know where the teeth were to like what the precedent says about how they should care. And I think what I, when I finally bought the book was when Joe Sullivan 
case um, came out uh, where the CISO actually got criminal charges um, and sentenced to time in jail because of the Uber case that that was recently in the um, in the news. And I think that the other DNO litigation that's around this has has got me thinking. Okay, I have to learn this and understand this and. It just so happens to be written by Jody Westby, who is a female CEO in the cyberspace of like 20 plus years. So I love supporting her, but I also love that her book is like, I could translate it and it and it makes the issue make sense to me. And it's not written in lawyer, lawyer speak, but I think it's also an ABA. By the way, I'm looking at it right now. I think it's also an ABA. I don't know what that credential is, but it's like one of those ABA stamps at the bottom. And I love it because Jody was a prior guest talking about that book. So that's a great recommendation. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I think it's so relevant to what we're seeing currently in the space, but then love that, you know, you were able to highlight one of our former guests. And as you said, you know, as a, a fellow female cyber nerd is what I'll call her. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And I think she would step into that, that, um, and lean into that, that phrase as well. Perfect. Well, Violet, thank you so much for joining us. Incredibly appreciative of you giving your time and just your knowledge and perspective on this space. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to come again and talk about some other fun cyber stuff. Yes, we definitely will have you on again. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.